Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com or by clicking the Share Your Story tab on the Church Center app. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we wanna encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that by clicking on the giving link located in the description of this video online at fellowshipgj.com or if you're a member here at Fellowship Church, you can give through our Church Center app. This will help us continue to bring this message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy today's service. Boy, it's hard to follow that, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I didn't want to start this morning, though, without talking about what happened last Saturday. Uh, it is prophetic, the things that are happening in the world around us, and I want to make sure that we're very well informed, that we are not frightened by it, but we understand that Jesus is coming, and we are living in the last days. Now, according to Scripture, we are living right in the middle of what they call the Psalms 83 war. It's a border war that is happening with Israel and her neighboring, bordering countries. We see it as just Saturday happening uh, with the Gaza Strip, uh, which is to her western border. Uh, that is with Hamas, the Palestinians that are living there, the Palestinian group of Hamas there. Hezbollah is in the north in Syria. And then, of course, there's always drama and uh, contention with the West Bank, which is to the east of her borders. And then they've never really been very good friends with Egypt either at the south of their borders. So this border war that is happening, it was predicted in Scripture, and it's starting to manifest in a greater way all the time. Now, it's interesting because Hamas... Uh, is actually, according to their charter, is to eliminate Israel. It's a part of their mission statement. They want to eliminate Israel, and they want to kill Jews. Now, prophetically, this border war ends where Israel defeats Damascus and Syria, and they're completely destroyed. So that is still to come. But Hamas is a Hebrew word which means violence. I don't know if you knew that or not. And this is a root word that when it speaks of violence, it is speaking of evil doing. So evil doing through violence, and this is exactly what we saw uh, last Saturday. Now, why did this happen? Well, first of all, it is they are fulfilling their, their destiny in their mind. They are fulfilling their great commission. Their charter was made in 1988, and it speaks very clearly about what they are to do. It's also been several months of contention on the Temple Mount. Now, the Temple Mount has always had a certain amount of contention, but even more so over the last few months. And I want to show you a picture of the Temple Mount just to help you understand uh, the geography of things and also help you understand why it is such an area of contention. You'll notice in the middle of, of this particular picture, that is called the Dome of the Rock. Now, that is a shrine that Muslims have erected on where Solomon's temple used to be. And you can see the ruins or the foundation around uh, uh, uh the Dome of the Rock there that, that shows where the temple was. And so the Muslims put their shrine right in the middle of where Solomon's temple uh, was built. And that was there to uh, memorialize the, their second most important holy place in the world behind Mecca where Muhammad was uh, brought up into heaven or something like that. Uh, I don't really care, um, but that's what they did. And uh, so that is the Dome of the Rock. And then right over here, this is called Al-Aqsa. 
And Al-Aqsa is actually their mosque. So this is a place of worship. This is a shrine to Muhammad. And then also this is the area where the Jews feel so uh, much pressure and uh, feel so much love and admiration for this country because it was where God was in, uh, in the temple. Uh, he was, his presence was there. And this is also the place where the temple will be rebuilt for a third time during the tribulation. And so uh, there's been all kinds of fighting, all kinds of contention. And recently, the Hamas uh, believe that, that somehow the Jews uh, desecrated the Temple Mount or desecrated their area of worship. And this was actually called, and these are things that you're not going to hear in the major media uh, uh, centers. So you have to understand, you, have to, you, you need to look beyond that at times. But they're actually calling this, Hamas is actually calling this operation, Operation Al-Aqsa Storm. Now, isn't that interesting? Don't you think that they chose that for a reason? Don't you know and remember not too long ago in our recent history uh, that we had a thing called Desert Storm that was also against Muslim countries. And they're calling this Al-Aqsa Storm in retaliation to what Jews have done on the Temple Mount. Now, not only that, not only is this about contention over the Temple Mount and their mission statement, but they're also trying to stir up Muslim people against Israel so that they'll join their attack. This was all very premeditated. They knew what was going to happen. They launched this attack, and they knew Israel was going to retaliate. And when they retaliated, what did they do? They filmed every bit of it. Now, at first, we see a lot of pro-Israel uh, media out there, a lot of people that are very sympathetic uh, to Israel and what happened to them. It was an awful, awful day. But know that the Palestinians are going to do their best to change the narrative. And so what you're going to see, get ready for it, you're going to see even news media organizations start to now be very sympathetic towards the Palestinian plight, towards the plight of Hamas, because they're going to, the Palestinians are going to be taking videos and pictures of every person that dies, of every person that's that's covered in rubble, that every, per that every child that dies in this war, because it is a war now, they're going to make sure that they have social media around it as well as their media sources, and it's going to go out all over the world, and then the, uh, the discussion is going to change. The narrative is going to change. And according to Scripture and prophecy, anti-Semitism is going to rise in the last days. And that's what's going to happen. But here's the thing, guys, know that that's just a tool that they're trying to get people to turn against Israel. They're trying to get their people, Palestinians, to rise up, also all of those Muslim nations to rise up against Israel. They're doing this for a purpose. You have to understand, no matter what propaganda is out there, we as Christians need to stand behind Israel. We need to stand behind her. She is our ally. These are God's chosen people. And as time goes on and they show more and more Palestinians dying, people are going to begin to forget why this started in the first place. And they're going to start showing, well, these are residential areas that are being bombed. They're being bombed because rockets were shot out of kitchen windows in these areas. That's how this war uh, is being fought from the Palestinian side. So know that. Know it's coming. Know that it's all a part of prophecy. And that's the fourth reason why this is taking place. It's fulfilling prophecy. Hamas and Hezbollah are proxies for Iran. They are backed and they represent Iran. So this is the Psalms 83 war. The next two wars that are going to happen, next is most likely going to be the Jeremiah 49, 35 through 39 war. And this is where Israel, this is, where Israel is going to fight Iran. Now, most scholars believe that they're going to fight Iran because Iran is very close to getting nuclear capabilities. 
Israel has said all along, if Iran gets nuclear capabilities, we are going to bomb Iran because they can't be that close in proximity to their enemy when they have warheads that can strike their country with nuclear capability. So many, many scholars believe that the, the, after the Psalms 83 war will come the Jeremiah 49 war. And then in response to that, because according to Scripture, Israel's going to do their job. They're going to they're decimate Iran. That Iran, Russia, and Turkey will start a war against Israel. And that will be called the Gog and Magog War. That is the war that is mentioned in Ezekiel uh, chapter 39, or 38 and 39. And this is where those countries go against Israel and God protects Israel. God just completely wipes out these, the, the militaries of these, of these particular co countries and protects Israel, and God will get all the glory for it because it will be miraculous in its nature. Most scholars believe that the rapture will happen sometimes, sometime between this Jeremiah war and this Ezekiel war. So most likely, when the Gog and Magog war is happening, we're going to be watching it from the stands in heaven. Okay, So that's a good thing. That we don't want to be here, we don't want to be here for that. Now, you might be new to the church, and I just sprung a whole bunch of stuff on you, and you're like, what are you talking about? Well, if that's the case, we have a great series called Signs uh, that, that talks about all this end-time stuff and the pro prophecy around it and why we very much feel, and most uh, Christian churches feel, that we are living not in the end times but at the end times. So I encourage you to pick that up uh, in the bookstore. We have that. It's, it's done in, in video format. It's got some workbooks, and it will really, really help you understand a little bit more about what we're talking about. But what does this mean for us? What does it mean for us? Well, it means for us that Jesus is coming soon. He is coming soon, and we need to finish the race. We need to finish our race. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that is so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. You see, God throughout Scripture likens our life with him like a race. And in the previous chapter, uh, just a chapter away in Hebrews, the Bible talks about these spiritual giants of faith that have gone on before us. They have had incredible endurance in their faith, and, and they talk about this. Scripture talks about these people and the fact that they're a part of this great crowd of witnesses. And these great crowd of witnesses, they're watching us. They're cheering us on. They're making sure that, that, that they, they stay a part of what's happening here. And, they, and they're, they're there to encourage us and to pray for us and intercede for us. The scripture talks about Abel and Sarah and Samson and Enoch and Joseph and Jephthah and Noah and Moses and Daniel and Abraham, Rahab, Isaac, Gideon, Jacob and Barak, Samuel and all the prophets. It lists all of them as these great people of faith that are watching us. And to me, that's, that's fascinating. It's fascinating to think that those that believe in Jesus that have gone on before us could be seeing what we're doing now as well as these famous people in Scripture. A few months ago, Pastor Jael did a message and she had this vision where she had something that really, really cool happened in her life and she got to see her father watching this happen. And her father went on to be with the Lord. He knew Jesus. And, and along with him were all these other people that were very influential in, in JL's life. And they called it a watch party. That's what they likened it to. And so that's kind of what we can liken it to, too. We can, we can think about the fact that as we're running our race, we have people in the stands of life that are cheering for us. 
Now, wouldn't it be cool that as we're running this race in the stadium of life, that with these people of faith watching, that every once in a while we could just have them come down and take a lap with us? Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, what would they say? Now, I remember when I ran track and when I played football or did whatever sport, I loved having people in the stands that could cheer me on. I always wanted people that I loved to be there to support me. And in this race of life, it would be so wild to think about running around in the stadium and every time you take a lap, looking up in the stands and seeing these people of faith and seeing these people that, that we love cheering us on. If you could choose, though, a few of them to take a lap with you, who would you choose? And knowing their experience and things that they've been through, what do you think that they would say? Now, of course, we would probably want those that are close to us, maybe like a, a, a parent that has gone on to, to be with the Lord or somebody that was close to us. You, of course, would want them to take a lap with you. But what about some of these other people that the Bible mentioned? What about Rahab? What about Rahab? If you're running, running the race and you look up and you said, you said Rahab, would you, would you come down and you do a lap with me? Now, you may not know Rahab's story, but I'll tell you that story in just a second. But I think Rahab, as she's running the race with you, I think this is what she would say. One of the things she would say, at least, I think she would say, you know what? As you run this race, it doesn't matter what you've done or, where, or who you are. It's never too late to start. It's never too late to start the race. Now, we see her story in Joshua chapter 2, and in this particular passage of Scripture, Israel is inhabiting the promised land. So they're coming out of slavery in Egypt, and they're, they're coming into the promised land, and, and Joshua is giving instruction of how they're going to take a city called Jericho. And the Scripture says, then Joshua sent, uh, secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. It's this fortified city with these big walls. So the two men set out and came to the house of the prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who, came, who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. And Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went, and if you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Verse 6, actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossing of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went on up on the roof to talk to them. She's what she says. I, I know that the Lord has given you this land. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror, for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. Then she talks about some other encounters, and then she says in verse 11, No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of heavens above and, uh, and the earth below. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all their families. We offer our own lives as guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. 
Then, since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she left them down by a rope. Uh, uh, she let them down by a rope through the window. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days from the men searching for you. Then, when they have returned, you can go your way. Then the two spies came down from the hill country, crossed the Jordan River, and reported, the, reported to Joshua all that had happened to them. The Lord has given us the whole land, they said, for all the people in the land are terrified of us. So Rahab was a prostitute. She was a prostitute when God chose her as the agent to protect his people. You see, he chose her because of her potential, not because of her past. She had lived a life of promiscuity. She had lived a life of sin. She was the other woman. But she realized the truth. And she recognized who God was, and it changed her life. Maybe this morning you were new to the church. Maybe uh, you were trying this Christian thing out. Maybe you're here to see somebody else be baptized. And, 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 and you're learning that baptism is a symbol of a change that has happened within them. But you've never made that decision. You've never decided to follow Christ. Rahab would say, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It's never too late to start the race. So I want to start this service off, and I just I want to make sure that every person in this room knows Jesus. I want to make sure that every person in this room starts the race and knows that as long as you've asked for forgiveness from Jesus, it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. He forgives everything. So if you'll bow with me, and if you're in this room and you know Jesus, if you'll also just repeat this prayer with me to make those around you that haven't done it just feel more comfortable. If you'll repeat after me, dear Jesus, I ask right now, that you would forgive me of my sins, that you would come into my life, that you would save me. I believe you are who you say you are. Thank you for saving my soul. In Jesus' name, amen. You see, we don't want to mess around with this because time is short. Jesus is coming back. And we want, if we haven't ran the race up to this point, we want to make sure that we're starting. And we want to make sure that it doesn't matter what we've done in the past, it's never too late to start. Now, let's say you're running on that track and you, 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 Rahab goes back up in the stands and you're starting to think to yourself, who would I like to have run with me on this next lap? And you see about the fifth or sixth row, you see this guy and he's laying back and he's using two lions as beanbags. And you say to yourself, I want him to run a lap with me. Daniel, why don't, why don't you come down? And, and so Daniel comes down and he says, all right, let me catch you here. And so let me stretch out, you know. So yeah, he starts stretching his quads out, which this is a little harder for me to do now than when I was running track myself. But he's, 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 he's getting loose and he runs out and, and he jumps in a lane next to you and he starts running. And he looks at you and he says, if I could tell you anything, if I could tell you anything in this race, I'd say, Stay faithful. Stay faithful and God's hand will always be on you. See, nobody knew that better than Daniel. This is a man that loses everything. When Babylon comes in and destroys Jerusalem and takes captive everyone that is, has, has basically any value to them and brings them in exile back to Babylon, he, he looks and he realizes, I've lost my home. 
I've lost my place of worship. You saw the temple mount there. That was actually what was left of the second time the temple was destroyed. This is the first time the temple was destroyed. He lost his country, he even lost his name. But he always knew that God would be faithful to him, even to the point of death. And in chapter 6 of his book, the Bible says that Darius, he decides this king to divide up the kingdom into 120 provinces. And he appoints high officers to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high offices and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. And because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Now, anytime that God blesses you or raises you up, you have to understand that there will be someone there to tear you down. So God will elevate you. The devil will use people to try to disintegrate that elevation. That's what they do. Jealousy is a super ugly thing. And if people can't find a reason to take you down, they'll just make one up. They don't have to find the truth anymore. They just have to make up a believable lie about you to try to take you out. And they understood if they were going to take Daniel out, they were going to have to do it around his belief system because he had held God so high in such high regard. So they go to the king and they say, you know what, king, I think you need to to pass a law. And the law needs to be uh, said that if anybody chooses to worship any other God besides you, that you feed him to lions. You, You put him to death. And so the king's like, okay, sounds good to me. I like people worshiping me, so all right. And then we see in verse 10, the Bible says, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room and its windows opened towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he always had done, giving thanks to God. He didn't care about that law. He knew God's law. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help, which is what they knew would happen. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied. The decision stands. This is an official law of the, of, the, of the Medes and Persian that cannot be revoked. Then they told the king, that man, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel, because the truth is, is Darius really liked Daniel. That's why he elevated him. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of his predicament. But in the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the lion's den. The king said to him, May your God, whom you serve, so faithfully rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep all that night. Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, Was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, Long live the king. My God sent his angels to shut the lions' mouths so that they they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his high sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. 
The king was uh, overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted his God. Then in the next verses, we see that uh, Daniel's accusers get the same sentences, and it didn't didn't fare so well for them. But then verse 28, it says, So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Stay faithful. And God's hand will always be on you. Now, we took a couple people from the Old Testament. We'll take another lap. Maybe you want to choose somebody from the New Testament. And for me, besides Jesus, the person that just captivates me the most is Paul. I think I would see Paul up there and I would go, hey, man, whew, I, you, I, you lived a life. Would you come and do a lap with me? And as he stretches out and he gets ready to do a lap with me, I can't imagine what he's going to say. But as he starts running next to me, he looks at me and he, he says, Tim, never stop running the race and you'll be rewarded in the end. We see his story in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation he tells his followers, don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at, at work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. As for me, and this was at the end of his life, he says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who are eagerly looking forward to his appearing. So even then, he was telling us, 2,000 some years later, thousands of years later, hey, hey, get ready. Jesus is coming back. And for those of you that are faithful to him, you're going to get a prize. Endurance is important in any race, but especially the race of life. And the race of life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. Never stop. Never get distracted. Never get knocked off course. Over and over again, we see the enemy try to knock Paul off course. 2 Corinthians 11 says, I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him for far more. I have worked harder, been put into prison more often, been whipped times without, uh, uh, without number and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jews, Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. 40 was considered death. So they gave him 40, backed it off one uh, five different times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from, uh, from the Gentiles. I've faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights, I've been hungry and thirsty and often gone without food. I have sh- uh, shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. So the devil launches all this stuff that Paul to try to get him knocked off the track. But, but Paul said, no, 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 no. I'm going to run the race. Because I know that there's going to come a day when Jesus is going to look at me and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now how many times in your life and how many things has the devil thrown at you to knock you off course injury sickness calamity financial loss betrayal what the devil has used to destroy you god has used to make you stronger 
He's building endurance in you. You can't run a marathon without training. You can't run a marathon without endurance. Now let's finish the race. Let's finish the race. This all works if we don't quit. Keeping the eye on the prize. You know, as a runner, they always say, you know, focus on the finish. Focus on the finish line. Let nothing keep you from looking at that finish line. Whether you're a sprinter or a long-distance runner, you long to see that finish line stretch across the track. And that's, that's where we are, guys. We're right there. Don't quit. Don't let the devil take you out. Don't let yourself be distracted. Know that God has you. He loves you. He's been with you all along the way. Every step of the race that you're running for him, he's been running with you. Even though all these guys are watching you, the truth is, is Jesus never left your side. Would you bow with me? Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that you gave us these love letters in Scripture to encourage us in our race. We thank you, Lord, that you gave us prophecy so that we would know what was going to happen in the future. And when it starts to happen, we wouldn't get freaked out. If anything, these things that are happening around us should be faith building. They should be building our endurance because we know you're now in control more than ever. Thank you for that, God. Now, I pray that you would manifest these things in our life that you would help us to never quit. You'd help us to remember that if we stay faithful, you're going to always make sure we're okay. And then no matter what we do or what happens in our life, it's never too late to start the race or restart it. We love you, God. We thank you for every soul that started the race this morning, and we thank you for those souls that are going to be in the 4640 auditorium just in a few moments that are going to be dedicating their lives to you, that are going to be doing this beautiful symbol of baptism. Praise you for every soul that's going to enter those waters. Bless them as they start the race with you. I love you, God. You're so good to us, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If this was your first time experiencing Fellowship Church, or if you want to learn more about one of our many ministries, you can text Fellowship to 94000 to connect with our staff. If you're in need of prayer, we would love to support you. You can submit your prayer requests by texting Prayer Support to 94000. Our prayer team will receive your request and immediately start covering you. As always, we are still just a phone call away. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY with any questions. Thanks again. We hope to see you next week in person or online.